Welcome to Eclipsed, a Heroes podcast, where we're two old school Heroes fangirls who are rewatching the show and defending its honor. My name's Rachel. Actually, it's it's Keisha. My name is Keisha. Uh, he can just calm down, though. He's he's not even really in this episode. He's he's barely in it. So <laughs> he needs to just he needs to chill. Anyway, hi. It's a new episode of Eclipse. We're gonna be talking about episode one point twelve, Godsend. Oh, yes, Godsend. <laughs> Do we have any old business from from last week? One thing I think, and that is mm-hmm. that we completely forgot to mention that last week's episode was the winter finale of season one. Yeah. So Peter and his visions were the the cliffhanger for the first part of season one. I had mistakenly thought before this as we were rewatching that Homecoming was the cliffhanger for well, the beginning. Me part. too, because it's it's a better cliffhanger. I mean, in a way, it's more cinematic with this, and we're not like stuck with like the cheerleader aftermath and et cetera. But yeah, that's true. Plus, like heroes loved at this point, especially to just burn through their promo materials. Yes. <laughs> Like, it's just, like, tagline after tagline after, like, cliffhangers and things that involve certain imagery. They they get way past save the cheerleader, save the world. They they have a different phrase or thing to fixate on, like, almost every week at this point. Yes. But, yeah, so shall shall we dive right on in? Yeah, let's dive right on in. And let's start by talking about our very favorite character, the one that we just love to talk about and cover their story, and that would be Nikki Sanders. <laughs> so, Keisha, what's up with Nikki this week? Um, okay, so <laughs> I-, I had joked before we started recording that she could put a stopwatch on me and time how fast it'll take me to get through this, because once again, not that much really happens with Nikki. Uh, she is in prison right now after she turned herself in. She is clearly having disciplinary issues while behind bars. There is a guard who's clearly terrified of her because his face looks like hamburger meat. Uh, Jessica's clearly being the shit out of him constantly. And and yet, you know, I, I don't know. It just, it, it's just, here, here is this just me struggling to, to find this interesting again. Well, um, so, I actually have a funny fact uh, I'll insert here before you finish her story. Sure. Um, When I was trying to, again, in vain, try to find... Some sort of source for our Nora thing we talked about in the last episode. Oh my god. I came across no. a of the time review of Fallout. And in it, the the reviewer had talked about how weak the Nikki and DL and Micah storyline was. Compared to everything else Ugh. going on. So this is not just us. This was an of the time complaint or of several reviewers at least. Yeah, and I know that it's going to lead to other things behind the scenes with Allie Larder on the show as well. The, the weakness of the writing for her characters compared to everyone else. Yes. But we'll get there. Right now, we're focusing on Nikki slash Jessica in prison. Uh, and also DL, who's on the outside now, trying to just be a good solo parent to Micah. And he's making his adorable little mistakes like having the peanut butter in the fridge. I, you know, you're not, you're not supposed <laughs> to do that. He likes it room temp. Micah has specific needs and wants. And peanut butter needs to be room time for him, I guess. It's hard to spread. That's true. So uh, so this uh, minor character shows up who we're going to see, I think, a couple times. His name is Aaron Malski. He is the lawyer who got DL's charges dropped. So DL is a free man. Sort of. He's free from the law. He's not free from Mr. Linderman. Because Mr. Linderman is not the kind of guy you're ever really free from. 
that's just not how criminals like that roll. So despite the fact that DL straight up gives him back the $2 million and he should be free and clear, he's not. And Malski assures him that one day Linderman's going to call him up and he's going to want to be paid back for his actions in clearing DL's name. So basically, you know, it's, it's, I see it's like a way for them to keep mentioning Linderman's name and to keep him as this like ominous presence. And we're, we're going to hear his name pop up in other parts of the episode too. And it's so funny because we're not going to see him for a while still. I don't believe he shows up until like episode 17. Yeah. That's a, that's a little bit until we actually see Linderman's face. But he remains a looming presence. So that's what's going on with DL and Micah. And Nikki's whole thing is literally just, it's like jail stuff. You know, she was in the hole because she beat a guard. Now she's out and she's having a conversation with her lawyer, who's played by John Ross Bowie, who was Kripke on Big Bang Theory. And that is completely hard to ignore now. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I know who that is. And so she does her whole little Nikki Jessica split personality bit in front of him. And he's like, oh, you're going psych on me? Because... That's a hard sell, like he says. Multiple personality disorder or disassociative identity disorder, as it's called now. It is a hard sell. That's not ever an easy tack to take with your defense that you're that you're too crazy. But we all know that it's not a front. She really does have a different personality. The only thing that I really like about this episode's bits with Nikki and Jessica is we really get to see that Nikki in fact, is starting to get to use the super strength. She cracks a a guard's baton, like, right in half and is stunned by being able to do so. So that's going to be important in the future that Nikki is eventually going to learn how to uh, channel this power without needing to shift over to the Jessica personality to do it. Uh, The only other major thing that happens for her is she she gets to see DL and Micah and she freaks out because she can't hug her son. And I don't know, it's just the same sort of emotional beats we've already hit a million times. And they're going to move her to a psych ward. And that's pretty much Nikki's whole story in this episode. She's incredibly separate, again, from everything else. And with the amount of people who come together finally in this episode, it becomes yet more unforgivable that this family continues to be on the outside for so damn long. Rachel, did you have any thoughts about Nikki's stuff? I actually have a little bit. You forgot to mention that she is the cliffhanger of the episode. She is padded and in, in her little padded mm. cell with her uh, straight jacket on and having mm-hmm. a conversation with herself, like asking for God to help her and Jessica, who needs God when you've got me? Mm-hmm. But also, as we were talking before the episode, Nikki and that family seem to get a lot of the cliffhangers. And this could just be like our bias <laughs> that is saying that. So I'll have to look to see in these past 12 episodes how many she has had. I'm still pretty sure she has like a handful though and mostly it's like but why because it's like she has the shot on dl Mm -hmm. she has the one where she was left on the floor after struggling with dl i think she has another one before that as well i think so in like the first few episodes i think she does yes and then this one which would be four at least out of the 12 and and why again i ask why she's not she's not worth the cliffhangers man it's so funny they'll do characters who have more interesting stories or are more essential to the central plot. And they'll have like little pre-cliffhangers before her, her stuff. It's such a weird choice narratively. Yes. I like to think it's because maybe when it was airing, they knew that they had to put the big stuff on before her stuff. Because then people could just be straight up 
going on to forums while she's doing whatever she's doing. <laughs> They're too busy talking about well, how excited they are about Claire or Peter or whatever. <laughs> well, at the end of this one, it was kind of flashes between a few different people. But, like, she mm-hmm. was definitely the end note of the episode. Oh, yeah, no. After the Mohinder yeah, log. Which I don't even remember. What I like I like, I like, like when they do it like that, where it's just, like, flashes of characters and you just see, like, a little tiny bit of what they're what they're doing all at the same time. Yes. It's it's a fun device. I think that was all I had to say about Nikki either. She didn't have very much in this episode. No. I just kind of wanted to get through her so we could get to the other characters. Much like the show kind of does. So... <laughs> Gonna get that out of the way. Like Claire's really separate from everybody who's, you know, having these big meetings and big connections all over the place in this episode. But she still has a great storyline because I don't know, Claire's always been an interesting character and she's so central to a lot of it that even when she's by herself it still works. But uh yeah, what's uh what's what's Claire doing? How is she dealing with uh getting ready to try to go back to normal after this incredibly abnormal thing happened around her? Yeah, she's having quite the crisis this episode. Quite an emotional crisis. Because at the end of the last one, uh, (laughs) the Haitian came to wipe her memories on her father's orders and yet said that he was not going to do it and she had to keep a secret. Wild doesn't remember what she can do. Sandra never knew. And Zach doesn't remember. So at the beginning of the episode, we see that Claire is watching TV and her high school is reopening after Jackie's murder. Which I don't think we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. This is two weeks after the the previous episode. Yeah, they make like a whole big thing of being like two weeks later in the start. So just picture that there's a tiny little uh, time jump right now on the show. Yeah, so it's been... A tiny little time jump and we're still dealing with the same kind of crap in the Sanders family with the the fucking storyline being spread apart. And I'm just so angry. Okay, anyway, Claire. It's Claire's time now. It's Claire, bitch. All right. Um, it's Claire Bear's yeah, time now. Where was I? <laughs> <laughs> the school is going to be reopened. Uh, HRG's in the kitchen with her. I almost said the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's still gonna happen. I'm sure. Of I'm it. sure. But um, HRG- you got a long, you got a long road to hoe before I say his name. <laughs> We've got like 12 more episodes to go, right? Oh, it's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, HRG's in the kitchen anyway. with her. And she's like, I'm worried about what people are going to ask me at school. And he assures her that reporters are not allowed on school property. But she says she's more worried about other kids because, frankly, she doesn't remember what happened. And it's kind of bothering her that she doesn't remember what happened. He thinks it's a blessing that she doesn't remember what happened. But, you know, he's behind her not remembering what happened. (laughs) (laughs) And... Uh, she's like, well, how did you say you found me? You know, and he was like, oh, you were by the stadium. You just wanted to get out of there. And uh, she's like, right, right. And she gets ready to go to school and you can kind of see her change. And that is clear she remembers and she's putting on this face for her father. So we follow Claire to school and she's again trying to talk to Zach. And <laughs> he's kind of like brushing her off. Like, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, we're not friends. And she's just like you know you don't remember anything like try to think more zach and she's like do you think we could ever be friends like you know what jackie was my best friend but i found out that someone else was and do you think we could ever be friends and he just looks at her like no i think we're too different to be friends oh my heart and claire's heart breaks her heart right there you know yeah she's having a crisis she's so much shit's going on. She's fi- just found out about her father knowing everything and he's making people forget. And, you know, she was almost murdered. <laughs> so Claire goes 
to the one person who knows about as much as she does, and that is the Haitian. And she's like, save the cheerleader, save the world, but have I actually been saved? And uh, he's like, you you know, you're safe for now. And Claire's still upset. She wants to talk to Peter, but she can't talk to Peter because he's also being watched. And if Claire goes to Peter, then her father's going to know that she remembers because she's not supposed to remember Peter. And uh, the Haitian also drops the bomb that, yeah, those, you know, weren't your real bio parents. That they work for <laughs> her father just like he does. And um, then Claire begs for him to give Zach back his memories because she doesn't want to be alone. Because right now she's alone. No one else remembers. No one else knows about her. And he's like, well, that's not how my gift works. Mm. And she's stunned that he calls it a gift because she calls it her own private freak show. And the Haitian takes it that what we can do, that's God. And you have to respect the calling. Mm. So that's his view on him having powers. It was meant to have it. It is a gift. And he kind of leaves Claire with that. And so Claire is determined to not be alone. So she calls Zach up and she takes him back to the place where they recorded the tapes. And she told him to bring his camera. And she's like, this is not the first thing. This is not the first time that we've done this. And I know you don't believe me. And that's fine. <laughs> and we're going to, you just have to record me. And she tells us that the first time she made the tapes was to show her real parents so that she wouldn't have to feel alone and that maybe they would know why she was like this. But now she wants to make the tapes again because she never wants to forget what she can do. So she's telling him like, don't freak out. Just keep recording me. I told you. And he's like, I'm sure you told me that before, whatever. So she goes up and she takes her jump. And sure enough, like all the jumps before she stands up, she shoves her like rib or her collarbone back in. I think it's her collarbone. Yeah, I think it is. And you know, Zach's kind of freaking out a little bit. And she's like, this is Claire Bennett. And as far as you know, that was attempt number one. And so at the end of the episode, we kind of see Claire and Zach walking back together, kind of almost mirroring the way that they were walking away from the site uh, in the first episode. Oh, definitely. And so that's where we leave Claire. She's trying to get, you know, Zach to remember, or at least not remember, but bring him back to where he was. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't have to be alone in this situation. And do you have anything to say about the cheerleader, Keisha? Um, I don't really think I have too much to add to what you've said. I love that shot of her pushing her collarbone back in. It's always so satisfying to watch her push her bones back into her body. Like, <laughs> it's such it's such a cool, like, I don't know, I've always really liked the special effects on this show. And that's, that's always one of my favorite recurring bits. Agreed. With Claire in particular. Um, yeah, I, I was always really pleased that Claire cared enough to want to reestablish this relationship with Zach and uh uh yeah everyone already knows my my feelings on Zach I love Zach and I I'm sad of what happens eventually but I'm glad that they get a little more time together as characters because they have such a cool friendship good dynamic and I also just really like her teen her like teen angst of it all like I just love her whole yeah just like save the cheerleader save the world but have I been saved like you know it's just <laughs> So, so emo she is in this episode. And rightfully so. Like, going back to, like, the Nikki and the Claire of it all, like, it's because they want to show these different dynamics and how, and how you know, the powers are um, affecting them. And mm -hmm. Claire's has done really well, and Nikki's is not so much. But, like, you want to see a dynamic like that in the show. It's just maybe not the place or the time for them. It's hard to pinpoint sort of why... The Claire stuff is better handled in the writing than the Nikki stuff went on the surface. Oh, I have a They're pin. both very separate. That pin is know? named HRG. <laughs> it is. It is. 
That's true. He's he's the the lovely little linchpin of so much of this episode. He's a very long day. <laughs> he's everywhere. He is everywhere. And he's everywhere in this episode. <laughs> yes. He's sassing it up all over the place. Why don't you tell us about it, Keisha? Oh, gladly, Rachel. <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, all right. So after Claire lays it on thick, thick, thick with her father about how oh, she doesn't remember what happened after homecoming, we get this really swell transition uh, between work Bennett and or home Bennett and work Bennett, where he takes his glasses off when he's at home. And then the shot transitions and he puts them back on and he's looking into Siler's cell. I just, I'm such a sucker for a good transition shot. And that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, well done. Bravo. Uh, I will. <laughs> this might be the least amount of time I ever mentioned my favorite character uh, because he's barely in the episode. <laughs> he's just like all kinds of fucked up on like drugs and uh, they've been testing him like crazy after he was responsible for Eden killing herself. Uh, yeah, he, he's just, uh, he's out of it. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He's just not doing well. And HRG is delighting in this fact as much as possible. And you know he's mad that he can't kill him. He wants to kill him so bad. But orders are orders. So he will live to do something another day. I don't know. Maybe kill. Maybe not. I don't know. Doesn't seem like he's going to be doing anything right now. I think they've got him pretty well handled and under control. Anyway, so (laughs) nothing bad will happen there. Uh, But if you recall, uh, last week, Matt and Audrey were staking out the Primatech paper premises. Say that three times, I dare you. Uh, Because Matt couldn't get anything out of Bennett's head except the word Siler when he was walking out with the Haitian last week. So, they have managed to convince a SWAT team to raid Primatech Paper based solely on this. And Parkman and Audrey are there, and it's not going well because, as they say, it's just paper. There's paper everywhere. That's all there is. It's just a lot of paper. No, you know, superpowered serial killers to be found. (laughs) Drat. So... Audrey's really stepped in it by even, I guess, using... Parkman's advice on this because she could have lost I mean she she could have just been like really fucked I, I know that their super her supervisor came in and said I'm gonna make sure you're benched for this but she could have like straight up lost her job entirely <laughs> like she she got off pretty easily considering uh but Bennett is just so fucking smooth throughout this he's in the background talking to the agent in charge and he slips her a tape and it's so fucking great because he, he can't get anything out of him because the Haitian's right there. So we still can't read his mind. And Bennett just looks right at Matt and he goes, oops. And it's like, oh, you fucking shit. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You're tormenting poor Maddie Parkman who knows the truth, but can't get anyone to believe him because it's always hiding. So, yeah, um... It's like this whole struggle that they go on throughout the episode because they they go and show it a couple times, the the feds at Primatech. And my favorite part is when they're about to leave after Audrey's basically been told she's going to get suspended, at least. He storms right over to Bennett again and he pushes him against, are they like barrels? 
Yeah, it's like a stack of barrels. They look like a stack of barrels. He just shoves him against a stack of barrels. And he tells him, you know, that he's he's gonna he's gonna get him, he's gonna figure this out, like I got your number kind of thing. And Ben just looks at him, he's like, Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> oh, oh, he's such a dick. It's so great. But uh yeah, so there's a lot of stuff happening that's company adjacent in this episode too. Uh, one of the things that happens elsewhere while this is all going on is Mohinder gets visited by an FBI agent, question mark? We're not really sure if he's really a Fed or not. But he seems to be into the idea of Chandra's research. And he finds out, Mohinder finds out, that one of the people he's trying to contact, he's not going to be able to contact, Sarah Ellis, because she's dead. Because Sarah Ellis is the real name of Eden McCain. Her body was dumped by the company after she killed herself on the premises while trying to take out Siler. It's a real dick move there, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> she just, you know, I don't know. I always, I was always like, man, that's rough. Like they didn't just get rid of the body themselves. No, they like straight up just dumped her corpse, made her look like a suicide victim, just like anyone else. I was, I was always kind of surprised by that as a choice. Because it seems to me like it would make more sense for the company to just have her disappear entirely. Well, that that's supposing that that is an actual FBI agent. Oh, yeah. Which we're not convinced of at all. Because why would one suddenly, like, believe him? And then also the things that he says about the whole Siler thing. He's like, that's not a name that's coming up anywhere. There is a file on him. Audrey is spearheading this thing. It doesn't matter if there aren't a lot of people on the task force or a lot of people who believe him. His name would show up in theory. She's not, like, in an X-Files kind of thing, you know? <laughs> like, she's not in, like, a, a confidential secret thing where no one in the, you know, bureau itself would be able to find information on it. This guy was really an FBI agent. I would think he would be able to put two and two together that this is a real person that they're looking for who's killing people. Anyway. Also, it always really bugged me that they couldn't ever find any information if they would search just for the name. Because it's the name of an actual... Okay, you're going to laugh, and I've already done this with you off can or off mic, and I don't care. Um, I understand that Google was still new and YouTube was a baby when this show came out. But that doesn't change the fact that it did exist. And I, I always was bothered by the fact that if you Googled the name, like, nothing ever came up for it. Like, you're really telling me... This watch wouldn't come up in something to be like, hey, he got his, his fucking name from a watch. It's not a person's name. It's clearly a pseudonym from a watch. Why would it be a watch? Like, I don't know. I always, always felt like it was a path not traveled. I, I always had like an image in my head of some like FBI agent being like, huh, that's a really obscure watch. Who, who would take their name from that? <laughs> and then, you know, connecting the dots. But whatever. Um, so it's <laughs> always bothered me. Anyway, um, but that's not the only visit that Mohinder gets in the episode. He is also graced with the presence of HRG. Mr. Bennett has another meeting with him. And it goes about as well as can be expected considering their past interactions. Uh, <laughs> Mohinder is very wary and cautious of this person. And he should be. And... They talk about Eden a little bit and HRG is firmly on the side of your research is important. We can help each other. Not everyone who has these abilities deserves them. So he, he's very like, we need to figure who these people are because we need to see 
really what kind of people they are, like, knowing full well that he has someone like Siler in his in his uh, custody. So he's trying to pitch the idea of working together, Mohinder working with the company, and Mohinder's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> he's just like, he just goes full on like, nope, not into it, not happening. Uh, before he does that, though, as I was saying earlier with how this show likes to burn through promo materials, HRG... <laughs> He says something that they used as a, a promotional bit on the commercials. The, the next thing after, like, Save the Cheerleader, Save the World was the list. Everything had to do with the list that Mohinder has of the specials. And so there's a part where he goes, are you on the list? And they used to use that all the time. Like, the, the voice of that was constantly in ads. But anyway, um, so Mohinder totally denies that he's going to work with with the company, with Bennett, with any of it. He is not interested. And here's what's so interesting about that. The nature of this show would have been very, very different if he would have just said yes. Because there are going to be things that happen in just a couple episodes that are going to shape Mohinder's journey and the journey of other characters. And a lot of people are going to suffer because of him going, no, I got this. I'm going to handle this on my own. I'm going to further my father's research. I don't need your help. I don't trust you or your company. I'm not going to be your pawn. It's not the best movie ever makes. <laughs> because, and it kind of goes back to something I said in one of our first episodes. It's like when he busted into Siler's apartment with no gun, no backup, no nothing. Like... You, you could have at least worked with an infrastructure that could keep you secure from the dangerous ones there, my guy. Like, no, you just want to go on your own and face whoever? Okay, that's going to have consequences. But that's pretty much all Mohinder has this episode. And if I may just go back to Parkman, there is a small bit where we see him at home. Oh my god, we love Parkman's home life. We love it so much. Um, and he basically he just tells Janice he can read minds. And he tries to prove that he can. And, and that's really all that happens there. But yeah, a lot of forward motion with Matt V the company and versus Mr. Bennett in particular. And that's going to go some interesting places. Those three, Mohinder, Mr. Bennett and Matt have interesting stuff coming up together. They're like a surprise trio in, in the future future. But we get little bits of them all interacting at various points uh, right now in the season. But yeah, any any comments about Mr. Bennett and his no good, horrible, very bad day? <laughs> I actually have one, yes. Uh, he leaves Mohinder with a business card. And mm -hmm. on that business card is primatechpaper.com. Because this was sort of the start of their dipping their toe into the ARG um, fun. Mm -hmm. Which is something that uh, Lost would do. Oh my god, yes. So they were taking a bit of a page from that. And they continue to do little ARGs like this throughout the series. But this was one of their first um, show sites in real life. And a lot on that particular site comes into play, I believe, after next week. When a particular character is introduced. Because I remember like playing around with those sites at the time oh yeah same who didn't they were super fun like all of them like the casino the paper company like yeah they all had different ones yes and it was fun to go poke around and see where they lead and they were all interconnected via the character that we will meet in the next episode <laughs> i believe i think so and if not the next one then certainly the one after that 
I think they were setting it up for us with the little meanwhile that I will cover shortly. <laughs> I think so, but I don't know if they show up next week or not. I think they might take a week still. Okay, alright. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> Heroes loves to do it with between the comics and the ARG that's like, there's so much off-site heavy things and... Yeah, they really like to jump back and forth to try to keep you involved on all the different mediums. I should probably just compile a big folder and we just do a bonus episode of just the talking about that particular ARG in the websites. Oh, man. Yeah. So look forward to a potential bonus episode if I'm not I lazy. Think that, I think that'd be... <laughs> <laughs> well, you better get unlazy because you have a lot of stuff to talk about next. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. What would be a good segue from, from that? Uh, I don't know. Well, who? Shit. <laughs> Remember all the other characters in this episode and we haven't talked about yet? <laughs> well, they... You know the whole rest of the cast? <laughs> <laughs> they all interact really heavily, so... Oh my god, they do, though. So It's, it's not even a joke. Strap the yeah. fuck in. As we said at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> uh-huh. The beginning of the episode establishes that we are two weeks later after the winter finale. Dun dun. And Peter has been in a coma the whole time. Oh no. With Nathan and his mother Angela at a vigil at his bedside. And uh, we kind of, the audience get to see visions. Like he's reliving that nightmare that he had before he passed out. Uh, New York's exploding. But among... Mm the characters we know and love, we see flashes of a new person. So keep that in mind. He's a new guy. Yeah, yeah, someone new. So Nathan and Angela aren't alone with Peter for long because Simone shows up with some lovely tulips to see Peter. And Angela says um, he has persistent idiopathic fever, a.k.a. the doctors don't know what the hell is wrong with him. And they're worried that like he's going to have a heart attack because he's just under so much strain. Because we know he's sort of reliving his nightmare over and over again. And so Angela goes off to go yell at a doctor, as you do. (laughs) And uh, Nathan is quite candid with Simone about Peter's situation. And he said that uh, Peter thinks he absorbed too many powers. And he starts kind of giving her shit about showing him the painting. It's like, I went and destroyed it for a reason. He didn't need all these fantasies in his head. And so he wants to go see Isaac. And as usual, everyone has access to Isaac's loft. <laughs> See, I like how they filmed it this time, though, because it's very like Simone using her key. Like that is true. So she takes, but, yeah. yeah, she takes him over to the loft, which I guess she hasn't been there in a few days because uh, paintings are back. She's like, I don't know what good mm-hmm. this is gonna do you. You know, like he, he just suddenly wasn't there, and like we're looking over paintings, and suddenly, who walks out of the back room? After just taking a shower, get a little fan service there. <laughs> but Isaac. Oh, you, you have to mention the fan service. This show loved and respected the fact that a lot of young women watched it. And, you know, other people who would be into the fact that there are several, several unnecessary shirtless shots on this show. It is the best. Yes. <laughs> They appreciated the need for eye candy. That's all I'm saying. Like, name one character on the show who doesn't have one who's a guy. Like, there aren't that many. Yeah, Isaac was a very popular eye candy at the time as well. Yeah. Among fans, if I remember. Oh, he was. Yeah. And after. So, uh, what was it? Sorry, I didn't mean to, like, derail you. I just, I just, I always thought it was really cool that we got to see the guys 
in that sort of position as much as, if not more than, most of the women on the show. Yeah, and previously we had that happen with Nathan and his escape from mm-hmm. the Haitian and HRG. And I want to say there was, was there one more instance before this? Uh, Some with Peter. I think he went to the door without a shirt on as well. Yeah, and Mohinder was in like a little TikTok. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was a hot day and they made a big thing about it being hot in the apartment. Like, oh my God. Whereas I feel with the, with the ladies, it was pretty much like the pilot with Nikki. Yeah, and then it really sort of like veered away from that. Yes. Like... Yeah, I know we see Jessica, you know, in her state of undress with Nathan, but she's very powerful there. Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I always thought it was a kind of a cool thing. Shirts off, men. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wait till season two, Peter. He he will never have a shirt on. Like, it's it's wonderful. Anyway. (laughs) um, It's worth talking about. Oh, man. It's worth talking about because it's not something you see very often. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to I'm going to frame this in more of like a, a less of like a thirst trap kind of way. Like it's just something that you don't see very often, especially when like yeah, the the cast does have women in it and they're going to get more as the, you know, show progresses. And and I feel like the sex objects on the show were the men, and that's just not something you see very often. And I will let you go on. All right. <laughs> All right. So as I said, <laughs> freshly showered Isaac reunites with Simone. And, you know, he's all like, (laughs) how do I want to say this? Uh, He's very happy to see her. And uh, he's like, you know, I got back a few days ago. I just didn't want to call you. And, um, you know, I still love you. And Nathan's like, oh, I don't need to hear this right now. (laughs) (laughs) So he excused himself to go look at the paintings. And uh, Isaac tells Simone that he was at a clinic and he barely remembers anything about it. But, you know, he just woke up in Texas clean. (laughs) And... (laughs) great news he can paint without the drugs now so like like for reals this time yes for reals he's clean now he can paint without the drugs he's looking better than he was when we first met him back in the pilot you know he's a changed man oh very much so and meanwhile nathan has spotted the exploding man painting and he is not happy to see it (laughs) because he as he told simone the last thing peter said before passing out was that he was the bomb. And so he's standing there looking at the painting like, how the hell is that even possible Mm. for that to happen? How do you stop an exploding man, if you will? (laughs) And as they're looking at the painting, who should sullenly come into the loft but Hiro and Ando, who have been on their own adventure in New York. Yeah, why are they so bummed out? Yeah, they, um, if you remember, they are looking for that sword that Isaac painted Hiro having in that portrait with a T-Rex. So we, we join Hero and Ando up at the Natural History Museum in New York, and he is watching a T-Rex video where he's, like, getting these little smaller dinosaurs, and Hero's like, no. <laughs> but the sword that they are looking for is there, and Hero is convinced that his powers that have been getting weaker after his incident with Charlie will restore once they have the sword. And I like that Ando was kind of like, I don't think that that is going to solve your problem. I don't think... That what you think the reason is that your powers are gone is the reason. But Hero brushes him off like, no, 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 trust me, the sword's gonna work. <laughs> and uh, they are not just looking for any sword. They are looking for the Takezo Kensei sword. And Takezo Kensei is a big Japanese legend that Hero would be told stories about as a child. Takezo Kensei is a wild savage with great power. And the sword that he found on a snowy mountain focused his strength and let him control his power, which led him to become a hero. This whole story, remember this, put it in your brain. (laughs) Remember the name Takezo Kensei. 
Yeah, it's, it, it might pop up again later, you know. Very much so. And Hero makes note that the characters on the sword are a combination of characters that means godsend. It's Ando who notices that. Or, okay, yeah, that's true. Ando notices it, thank you. I didn't write down who noticed it, so thumbs up for me. <laughs> you're, you're just like, yep, you didn't have to, but you're doing it anyway, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, Ando notices it. And Hero's like, all right, that settles it. We're going to take the sword. <laughs> And Anna's like, stealing is not part of the hero's code, is it? <laughs> and Hero's like, well, if I don't take this, New York's going to explode. So this is a small price to pay, honestly. He's not wrong. I mean, fuck it. Try it. But sadly, Hero's power isn't working. Like, he tries to stop time once, it doesn't work. And then he tries again, and it doesn't work completely. He slows time down. So we get to see this <laughs> very cool, like, slow time effect. Where it's like, Ando's kind of watching where Hero is, but not quite. So Hero just opens the door, which sets the alarm off. <laughs> I love that, like, slow droning alarm in the background <laughs> so much. And you can see the guards reacting, like, slowly reacting. And so he takes the sword and is so excited. He runs to the dinosaur room and he holds it up facing the mm -hmm. big T-Rex model that's in there, mirroring the painting. And then he exits the museum and starts time again with Andal left standing right by the open case. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, <laughs> luckily no one was able to to grab Andal before he got out of that museum. So Andal gets out there and he was like, never doubt me again. And he goes to unsheath <laughs> the sword and it is instead not an actual sword. It's like a piece of wood after the hilt and a nice little plaque that says uh, replica Compliments of the Linderman Foundation. Uh, replica courtesy of the Linderman Group. There you go. The Linderman Group. Yep. Yes, yes. Yep. And he's like, well... <laughs> and he just like turns around like, I'm going to take this back. <laughs> so he... Pres oh, yeah. man. He goes to take the replica back. And... Uh, do you mind if I, my, if I shimmy in real go quick? Go for it. Go for it. Can I do a shimmy? Shimmy on in. <laughs> Um, so the, the reveal that it was a, a fake is one of my absolute favorite hero moments in season one. Yes. <laughs> I love, I love how they, how they do that so much. He's just like, nope, it's a piece of wood. Um, <laughs> because most things that are on display in museums aren't real. Uh, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a thing. It's, it's way too much of a security risk. So I always thought that was a nice touch. Uh, yes, also it keeps the Linderman of it all involved and not just in the Sander storyline. But the thing that I really wanted to mention here in reference to who I'll call the big three of the show in terms of power and strength, Peter, Hero, and Siler, they're all getting nerfed right now. And it's really interesting to see how left unchecked, it would just be a bonanza They'd all be like, I don't know, they'd all be like Saitama and One Punch Man. They'd all be equally unstoppable all the time forever. And I like watching them have their various struggles with that. Like Peter, his body not being able to take this. Siler being stopped by outside forces because he can take it physically. But now he has to deal with obstacles elsewhere. And then Hero in his mental blocks. I just liked how... That's kind of a fun through line for our big, arguably most powerful characters on the show. That's all. I'm sure, you know, I bet that you could go into an argument about which of the three is more powerful and it would be like Hero would trump all, except Hero has 
a certain set of morals that kind of holds him back from certain things and a code. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, okay, if, if you wanted to have that argument, and I'm willing to because I have nothing better to do right now. Um, like, it's, 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 uh, it's a battle royale between future hero and future Peter. Okay. And, and not Siler at all. Oh, okay. Because the dangerous thing about the world's that future hero and future Peter come from is that they've still got all this insane power and they've all, they both lost hold of their, their morals and their ethics. Interesting. And that's the only thing keeping them in check. Also spoiler. Because, well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we've already met future hero. I mean, we're going to find out where he comes from. Probably. We haven't met future Peter. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it's it's fun for me to to tiptoe through the tulips of saying fuck it, <laughs> staying in line narratively with our with our own show, because there's so many things I want to talk about in reference to things that are happening right now. Of course, like, that's the fun of a rewatch. You know, you get to have the experience of everything. But yeah, no, definitely future hero versus future Peter and. Probably future Peter would win because he can do everything. Probably. And he does. And he don't give a fuck. And we see that later. Yeah. Like I said, heroes, morals and like not wanting to do certain things, step in a certain direction to disrupt time is going to hold him back. Yeah. And then if you have a character who can do everything, including time travel and heal and all that other stuff and doesn't have the morals. Well, shit. If you pair up future Peter and like Siler at his peak. It's future Peter. Totally. Mm-hmm. Even though we do get to see them face off. But that's going to be a whole fun thing to talk about later. Mm-hmm. And how that goes down and how budget becomes a real issue on the show. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of uh, battles not being as epic as they deserved to have been. But anyway. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we could spend an hour arguing about this. What we want today. Uh... Not today, friendo. Okay, so, yeah. That's why Hero was sad when he entered the loft. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, do you go off? He enters the loft and he's like, Isaac, the sword wasn't there. Some guy named Linderman has it. And who should pop their head around a painting? But Nathan. Being like, do you say Linderman? And Hero oh. sees Nathan and is just like, oh, Flying Man! <laughs> and Nathan's like, oh, God. <laughs> best oh just delightful so we have hero talking to nathan who's giving him the rundown again of how he saw new york explode and uh hero and nathan are are one of arguably the show's best duos that you just love to see when they come together and it doesn't happen very often but you just it's great when it happens oh absolutely they have great chemistry together the two characters like their personalities mesh really well it's a fun time had by all <laughs> um so nathan is complimenting hero like man your english is better than it was in in um vegas and he's like yes i met a waitress and he's like good for you <laughs> <laughs> oh he's so proud <laughs> that's great good for you and um so he's like well how can we stop this and he's like you can stop us you're flying man whoosh and he's like would you keep it down <laughs> and hero does the great little whoosh. 
Like this whole little whoosh. This whole oh. scene with Nathan and Hero, this whole little part is just like an iconic little clip from the show that you can show everyone and everyone would just remember exactly what it is and love it. Yes. And so they go back to the exploding man and Nathan's like, how would we stop someone like this? You know, would you, is someone who would do this a villain? And um, Hero's like, yeah, they're a villain. And they have a great back and forth because V's are hard, especially someone who's Japanese. It's one of those hard letters. Oh, yeah. It's like English as a second language kind of thing. So I have a great little back and forth teaching Hero how to say villain. <laughs> and Hero's like, we have to stop him, that guy in the painting. Meanwhile, <laughs> we get a lovely little cut to the Nevada desert where we get to see little lights happening in the shack. And it is Ted Sprague futzing around with his powers in the desert. You know, because that's what he should be fucking doing. <laughs> well, I assume he's learning to control his powers on his own. I sure hope in so. In an environment that hopefully will not hurt anyone. You know, so he's he's making tiny little explosions in his hands. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, that's all we get to see of Ted. This little, like, meanwhile, <laughs> in the desert. It is. It's, it's such a, like, one panel type of thing. Like, if it were a living comic book, it is. It's like, meanwhile, and then that's all we see. That is all we see of Ted. Just like, remember, Ted? He's still alive. Yes. Back to everyone else. <laughs> so, um, Simone is still at the loft and she is just stunned and delighted that Hero is the hero from Isaac's comic. And again, she is just fully on board. She's like, there's powers that are happening and this is going to happen and I'm here to help. So, uh, she tells Hero that she can get to the sword because she knows Linderman. So the three of them are going to be heading to Vegas to go get the sword. She's going to give them an end to get that sword. Which, again, it is nice. I like Simone in this episode. And in the previous ones where she's, like, slowly warming up ever since her father's death to the idea that powers are real. And crazy shit's happening and she's just in. She's like, I'm in to help. I'm down. Yeah, because, like, we're at the point in the in the season where it's, like, the skeptics need to get their shit together. And I feel like it doesn't take her very long to, like, it didn't take her very long to fold into, like, not being a skeptic. Oh, yeah, no. no she's just like, all right, I believe it. I've seen enough. <laughs> I've seen some incredible shit happening, you know, and not just coming from the mouth of my drug-addled boyfriend. So we cut to Peter, who is still in his hospital bed and continuing to be trapped in his nightmare vision. And we get more info again, and we see this new man laughing at him. Intercut with the people running, with Mohinder, with Claire, with um, Nikki, with DL, with Parkman. There's this man that's like chuckling at him and he sees a vision of this man like stealing money from people's wallets. And we also get to see the explosion happen, which I don't think we actually saw as graphically a depiction of the explosion in the previous episode where it's like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's much more in this one. Yeah. He explodes. We get to see like freaking Nathan's face melt away and Simone is gone. And, uh, For- foreshadowing question mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> It is. It is. And when that happens, Peter wakes up screaming in the hospital. And then we're back to Nathan. (laughs) Nathan, who comes to the hospital, and Peter's not there anymore. And Angela's pissed. And she's, like, throwing her stuff in the purse, like, two weeks we sat here, etc. And um, (laughs) he's like, why'd you let him leave? And she's like, I didn't let him leave. He woke up and he said he had to go and he left. Do you think if I let him leave? Shut up, Nathan. (laughs) She could have slapped him right then and there. She could have. She would have. She could have. And um, so we see Peter on on the streets of New York. He doesn't look great, <laughs> and he's desperately trying to book a flight out of New York to the desert. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, Las Vegas will be fine." And 
as he hangs up his phone, he notices a man, the very man from his vision, blatantly walking around from table to table at this restaurant, opening up billfolds, taking the money out, putting the billfolds back. So Peter goes after him. He starts calling after him. Hey, you. Hey, hey, hey. Guy's ignoring him. He grabs the guy and the guy is stunned that he grabbed him because he can see him. <laughs> and he throws Peter up against the lamppost like, you can see me. No one can see me. I'm invisible. And we get to see this great little shot of like one of the little street stands getting rustled up from them moving there <laughs> with no one there because Peter's now invisible. And we see this little invisible struggle as uh, the man who is Claude. I'll just give you the name now. It's Claude. <laughs> His name is Claude. Is pissed at Peter because he can see him. No one should yeah. see him. He's invisible. He's the invisible man. And that's the that's that's the fun in New York. Rachel. Yes. Who plays Claude? <laughs> yes, this man would be very familiar to uh, people that are into you know nerdy things. Claude is uh, Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> And he played the ninth Doctor? He sure did. The very first Doctor of the reboot in, I think I said 2004. I didn't look it up. So he had already been the Doctor and finished his run at the Doctor when he was on Heroes. 2005. There you go, 2005. So he is fresh off his stint from Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor Who's on the show, y'all. And that was like a big thing at the time. That like, that oh doctor. my god. Christopher Eccleston. Oh my fucking god. Not only is it a big thing at the time, it's gonna remain a big thing forever for anyone who's seen this show. Because I mean, Claude's great. Chris Eccleston's wonderful. And it's a shame we don't get as much of him as we deserved. But we get a good chunk. Yes. He's very important to Peter and his journey. Claude is one that I would think if they were able to get more of him, there would have been more of him. Um, but alas, that is not the case. So he is relinquished to comic land. Yes. Also, also, fun fact, now that we're talking about Mr. Eccleston, he actually was initially one of the people they considered to play Siler before Zachary Quinto was cast. I think, yeah, I think I remember reading that and he didn't want as much of a commitment. Also, he thought it was kind of like, eh, that a British guy would be a bad guy. Yes. Because that's such a thing. Yes. Yeah. I remember reading that now. So we got Zachary Quinto instead. So yeah, if you look at uh, Eccleston compared to Quinta, you can see they definitely were going for the older Siler villain than what they ended up uh, old casting. Old weird guy. He could look exactly like how Claude looks exactly. and it would have worked. Yeah. Uh, the kind of guy who has plastic on his furniture. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really think I have anything to add to all the, all the many goings on in Team New York. Pretty much said what I was going to say, I think. Oh, you didn't you didn't do the bit where um, Simone was like, you're really Hiro Nakamura from Isaac's comic book? And he's like, yeah, see, I drive around in this car, Nissan Versa. And, you know, that's me, except my face is not so round. It's like <laughs> one of the best fucking lines. Yes, yes. Except my face not so round. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was in my notes. I just glazed over it, though. <laughs> I know, but it's it's so funny. And it's like, okay. Here's me going into a whole thing. She didn't have to, but she's gonna anyway. Here she goes. Uh, Hero is a funny character. And it's okay for him to get those little moments. But there is a gentle line that must be dealt with in the way this character is presented as a comedic entity. One could say they go too far with this in future seasons. You'll know when we get there. Oh, yes. Yes. 
Right now they've got the balance down like pretty good. Yes, they have a good line because they're heading towards something serious. There are serious things in the meantime, especially with Charlie, which just happened back in a few episodes ago. And yet he's able to have a moment with a character who's mostly serious, like Nathan. And they have a lovely little back and forth. Because, yeah, I'm sure the writers and everyone noticed that Pazdar and Oka have just the best chemistry. And why wouldn't you use that when they have the rare moment together on screen? So go for it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are, anything else to mention? I think that just about does it. There's a lot that happens. Eccleston is like the first in what will be a parade of nerdy guest stars. That will be. I, I would say he would be the first. Yeah. That will be coming of around like the big, corner. Big, big name nerdy guest stars. Yeah. Keisha, why don't you tell us where you can find us on social media? Okay, you can find us on Twitter at Eclipse Podcast. That's Twitter dot com slash eclipse podcast you can also shoot us an email we are at eclipsedpod at gmail.com we also have a discord channel we will be linking to that in the notes for this episode i think that pretty much covers everything that we're actually doing <laughs> you can link them to our personal twitters as well oh yeah last episode. yes do find uh, us on the Twitters. I'm on it a lot. She's on it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> she's not playing Animal Crossing. Uh, you can find Rachel at that burb there. That's burb with a B, like Bennett. And I am at Lady Snark, and it's Lady underscore Snark, like Stark with an N. Come, come follow us, because you can drag either of us into a conversation about this show or whatever you want at your leisure. Thank you for joining us. We are gearing up for some really cool stuff coming up now that we're just headlong into the Exploding Man arc. I'm really excited for y'all to see more of Chris Eccleston's character on here. Claude is such a peach. He really is such a great addition to the show. But yeah, thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Next time on Eclipsed, Peter learns the fine art of pigeon raising. Matt faces off against something worse than Siler or Mr. Bennett, a plumbing issue. Claire decorates her window. Nathan lets himself be seen in public with Mohinder wearing that scarf. And Siler has some very serious opinions about his company haircut. Tune in.